I want you to turn with me today to the book of 1 Samuel, the 14th chapter. We are going to read this one verse of scripture found in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 14. I'm picking up on a story here and uh, just pulling out one verse for us to read and then uh, I'll have you be seated and we'll go back and talk about some of the other verses surrounding this one particular verse. But the Bible says in verse 6, and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I like how Jonathan put this, 1 Samuel 14, 6. He said, it may be. He said, I, I, I don't know exactly how it's all going to turn out. It may be that in this situation, the Lord works for us. For there is, he comes back. So he starts this by saying, it might work out in our favor. But he said, I do know this. The Lord, with him, there is no restraint. So I'm not sure how this situation will turn out. But I do know if he's involved in it, that there is no restraint. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. In other words, he was saying, the odds do not matter. Doesn't matter the odds of the, in the situation because God can save if the odds are in your favor or if the odds are against you. There is no restraint in that area. I'm just not sure what his will is for this situation, so why don't we just give it a try and see what happens? Amen. What an attitude. What an attitude to have. Many people refuse to take action until they have a confirmation that everything's going to be okay. That's not one of these situations. He did not have the confirmation going in. He said it may be. That God's going to do it. But I know one thing, I'm sure going to give him a chance. I'm going to give him an opportunity to. So let me talk to you for a little while today from this thought. God, a half acre and two men. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. God, a half acre and two men. Now I know that I could probably hurry through the first part of the things that I prepared to say but uh, it, it would lose some, uh, the message in and of itself would lose some of its meaning if I did not take the time to say some of these things. There is no, no, uh, there, is, there is no time, at least in, in my uh, life, there's never been a time like, we're living in right now. I think the uh, the 
pressing opposition that is on the church today is probably greater than it has been in times past, at least in North America. I'm not speaking of other parts of the world because sometimes we live in this bubble and, and we think that uh, everything is happening around the world just like it is here when the truth of the matter is uh, more people were martyred for their faith in the last century than ever in the history of the church. So we, don't, we haven't seen that here in North America, but in other parts of the world, people have been giving their lives on a daily basis for this faith. And so uh, please understand, I'm not painting today with a broad brush. I'm just saying that for us that uh, have grown up right here in North America, there has never been a day of more opposition and pressing opposition on the church as there is right now. There's always been somewhat uh, of an element, but as Christians, we are, we are uh, I think, implored by the Word of God to, to understand the day that we are living in. We have to understand this day. Some people just out of uh, a habitual lifestyle or ritualistic uh, living just assume that everything is just like it has always been when the truth of the matter is it's not that way. This, this foundation that we have been built on in this country is eroding. It's, it's swiftly, swiftly going away. And um, for whatever uh, it may mean to you today, I can tell you that uh, those who hold uh, offices can only do so much. They can only do so much. We are living in a time where uh, pressure on those people of faith is greater than it's ever been before. It is, it's, it's here, and we need to understand this. We have to understand the time that we live in. In fact, the Bible mentions a group of people called uh, the sons or the men of Issachar. The Bible highlights one of their characteristics or at least something that was noticeable about them, and it was in scriptural times, the Bible said they had an understanding of the time. They may not have had a lot of other things, but they did have an understanding of the day and time that we were living in. Now, I want you to have an understanding of this day, but I, I pray that you will not uh, allow that understanding, if you will, to cause you to live in fear. You may have an understanding of the time, and uh, go away today thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? That's not my objective this morning. I just want you to understand we're living in precarious times, but we have a God who's on our side. Amen. And uh, he hasn't failed us. Never has there been a greater, a greater time than right now to serve God. Yes, there is opposition, but there's never been a greater day to be alive and well than right now in 2019. We're living in the most, I think, prophetic, fulfilling times that the world has ever known. Probably the week, the last week or so of the life of Jesus, there was more Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in those few days than 
at any other time. Well, we are living now in prophetic times of what the scripture described and pointed to and talked about. And here we are. Look at your neighbor and say, here we are. I think we should, we should be thankful for the day that he chose you and I to live in. Not fearful of the day. But thankful for, for this day. Can you put your hands together and just give him a hand clap of praise? We see and hear and experience things that some of us never thought would have happened in our world. But it's happening. It's taking place, and there is extreme pressure and complex situations that, that surround us every day. Someone said, oh, probably 25 or 30 years ago, I heard a preacher say that uh, compared to the days when he first began uh, preaching, he said, you just, in today's church, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, he said, you just, you just don't get good, clean sinners anymore. And, and he was being truthful about it. He, he, people come to the altar, and in, in the past, they came to the altar, and, and it was things that, they were, it was common sin, if you, if you will. It was things that you could still wrap your brain around. Well, here we are a quarter of a century later saying, I, if, if you couldn't get clean, good sinners 25 years ago, I don't even know what we're getting now. Because folks show up and you can't even begin to wrap your brain around. Somebody say amen. amen. <coughs> you can't get your brain around where they've been and what they've done and what's happened in their life. And it's like, I don't even begin to relate. I can't even somehow get in the same galaxy, much less street address. I, I don't even... I, I, that. That way of thinking or, or those desires, those pat, what would lead, like what? I never even, that, that could never, it's never entered into my mind. We're living in that day. And some people just think it's normal. Just, just normal. Mad, people going mad. And those that seem to have a little bit of stuff going on that's in order in their life, those that are mad think you're mad. I'm talking about not angry, but just mad mentally because you're not like them. And you're like, wait a minute, you're the one that's nuts. I, I'm just trying to be normal. Whatever normal is. Somebody shout amen. amen. <laughs> so many times a day, most of us, at least since we, we sense this bombardment that, that comes to us from every side to give in, to give up, to let go, to reevaluate, to question, to accept, to endorse, to bring validity, to okay. And, and we're like, wait a minute, this, this goes against everything in my moral fiber. And, and we wonder, am, am I just, is there something wrong with me? You better not take your direction from the world. Come on, listen to me today. 
It's hard to keep your head on straight, but don't take your direction from the world. Amen. Because things are shifting and changing in a drastic way. How many would raise your hand and just acknowledge that I'm telling you the truth? Amen. Amen. We, we need to understand that there are some deep lines that have been drawn through Scripture in the sand. And we may want to be inviting and accepting and open and loving and gracious and merciful and, and compassionate, but there are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. And when we start blurring those lines, we will lose our direction quickly and not be the people that God called us to be. Amen. So there's a battle going on. There's a battle for the security, if you will, of the church. The church has to remain the church. The church is not the world, and the world is not the church. There is a separation. There is a difference. There there is a big divide, if you will. Amen. And those that are outside of the confines of, of the church and of this new life, amen, are being destroyed without any awareness of their real struggle. Lives are unwinding in marriages and, and uh, finances and their ability to think clearly is just starting to unwind around them and people trying to keep things together to the, to the best of their ability. I thank God for the church. Thank God for a place that, that is stable, a place that is sure, a place that is not shifting in this hour. I... Uh, I can tell you just of tragedy after tragedy of people who want to to relate so bad that they end up forfeiting everything that makes the church what the church is supposed to be. Amen. Whether you want it to be or not or like it to be or not, I want there to be a stark difference between the church and the world. Because why would anyone want this or look to this if it's just like what they already have? Come on, the church is supposed to be a place where you can come and your life be changed. Amen. I think of the guy that was that the Bible talks about. He, uh, we, we reference him as the demoniac of Gadara. Here is a man that is full of a legion of devils. And Jesus shows up where the man is, and the man runs to him, bows down before him, and surrenders his life. Okay, a legion of devils could not stop this one individual from surrendering to Christ. And we know the story. If you've read this, then you you find that change came to the man, that Jesus cast that legion of devils out of him and into the swine, that were feeding not far away, and those swine ran off of a cliff into the water and drowned themselves because of the spirits that had come in. It's interesting. I've said this many, many times, but 
pigs will not even put up with what some people will put up with. <coughs> I mean, they, they dove in the water and drowned themselves. But the interesting part of the story is when the people came back and they found the Lord with this man, they see the man who had previously been out of his mind, completely full of demons, running around unclothed, and they get there, and the Bible said they saw three things. They saw him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. See, what the world has to offer, there is a stark difference when you come to him. What the world accepted was a crazy man, unclothed, with no submission at all. But when you come to a relationship with him and he begins to change your life, you find people who are living submitted in their right mind and clothed. There's a stark difference between what the world can offer you and what he can offer you. And the church can't somehow forfeit those things and and still believe that we are the church. Give your neighbor a high five. (coughs) So, um, let me help you today. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 14, we're reading here, and I I started in verse 6. I read verse 6 to you, but it picks up on a story that began uh, in an earlier chapter. It begins in the chapter previous. Israel had been brought to a standstill by the Philistine army. And they are, they are now just um, really inactive in their uh, battle. And, and they're overwhelmed. The pressure had been so uh, severe and had mounted so much that in the 13th chapter, the Bible tells us in verse 5, that there were some 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore. So when when you see the opposition that was coming against them and you put it into terms of just mass and individuals, there's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand, the Bible said, which is on the seashore. That's a lot of people. That that is a lot of people, mass group of people that had come against them. Say, that's pressure. That's pressure from every side. Yeah, that's that's when you start, uh, if you're not careful, rethinking everything, questioning everything. What are we doing here? Is there a way we can get through this? Can we compromise a little bit here? Because this display of force is overwhelming. And and that's where they are. Because of this impressive display of force, the Israelites began, the Bible said, running for cover in verse 6. They hid in caves. They hid in thickets. They hid behind rocks. They went to high places. They dug pits and got in them. That's how bad it was. If that's not a sign of the way the church looks today, I don't know one. 
Instead of standing our ground, we're running to hide. Hide behind everything. Don't want the difficult conversations. Don't want to be confronted by anybody. Don't want to be singled out on the job. So we hide in our thickets and we hide in our dens and we hide in our caves. We do great and worship and come out of our corner on Sunday morning. But the other six days, six and a half days of the week, we just want to fit in because the pressure is so great and the force against us is overwhelming. This is where they were. And there are far too many people of God that exist in places that God never intended them to be in. He said, you're going to be like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. So if we are the church, then we can't run to hide with every show of opposition. We can't dig pits and hide in thickets and run behind the rocks and and not want to display who we are or let the world really know who we are. He said, you are a city that is set on a hill and it cannot be hid. So, So there are too many people in this day who claim Christianity who really don't walk in this faith. We go on a little bit farther here and we see in the story that that Saul, all he had standing with him in verse 15 was what? About 600 people if you go to verse 15. So he has about 600. Those odds do not look good. Is that right, Zeke? I mean, those, those odds are not good. You have 600 people with you And they have people like the sand of the sea (coughs) and chariots, 30,000 and 6,000 horsemen. And you've got 600 men. That's the way it feels sometimes being in the church in the world today. Everybody you work with and everybody you've been friends with and everybody you come in contact with, they're all saying, why are you still believing that? Why are you still holding on to that? Why do you still have that kind of confidence? Why do you have that kind of faith? Don't you realize that religion and Christianity and the church and all of that doesn't make sense and there's nothing to all this faith stuff and everybody's coming and it seems like these odds Oh no, here we are in North America facing things like we've never faced before. There is no way for this to ever change. Oh, what are we going to do now? He has 600 and that's it standing with him. Now, finding themselves in this position and realizing that uh, that it appeared nothing was going to ever change, Saul does nothing about the situation. And we see here the verse that I read, his son, Jonathan, decides we've got to try something. If we don't try something, then we're never going to get out of the situation that we are in right now. So Jonathan comes up with a plan. And uh, he's, his plan is, it doesn't sound very smart, but at least it's a plan. And he looks at his armor bearer and he said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. We get up and we attack them. 
Just the two of us? Yeah, just the two of us. We can make it if we try, just the two of us, you and I. Yeah, they're just, he's like, really, me and you? But Yes, you and I, we're going to do this thing. Well, well, what, I mean, what kind of confirmation do you have? Where, where, he said, I don't, we're just going to go. Let's get up. And he says to the young man, it's probably good it was a young man, not an old man, because the old man would have said, you're nuts, not the two of us. Just you by yourself. I'm going to stand over here with the rest of the crowd. Just you. See you later, Jonathan. But he talks to a young man, and he said, come, let's go over unto the garrison. We're talking about a lot of men. Let's go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. That it may, it may be. It may be that God decides to do something for us. But I know this for sure. The numbers don't matter to him because he's not restricted by any of those things. He wants to do it. He can do it. So why don't we give him a chance to do something? God help us to get to the place where we're not paralyzed by fear the size, the shape, the fierceness of our opposition, and we get up and just do something no matter what the odds are. I really feel this. I'm not screaming and ranting and raving today because if I did, I might get overheated, lose my voice and everything else. But I can tell you this, that there are too many people in the church who are just sitting idly back, doing nothing, expecting everything in their world and in their little situation to change. I will tell you right now, if it changes, if you find yourself in that place, and if it changes, it will only change for the worse, not the better. If you want something better to start happening, then you have to get up from where you are and say, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know one thing, I'm going to give God an opportunity to go to work in this situation. If I do nothing, it's not going to change for the better. But if I get up and start putting some kind of plan into place, it doesn't matter to me the size, the shape, the fierceness of the opposition. My God is able to save. My God is able to turn the situation. My God is able to help no matter what it may seem like right now. This could be a financial thing for you. This could be a physical thing for you. This could be a spiritual thing for you. It may be some relational thing for you. But don't just keep sitting there thinking it's going to get better. Well, you don't understand the pressure. I'm Oh, sure I do. Everybody's under that same pressure. But it may not be from the same enemy. So you may be feeling pressure financially that others are not feeling, but they may be feeling it relationally and you're not feeling it there. Or you may be feeling it relationally and they're feeling it physically. You just don't know. But I know one thing, it doesn't matter. God is able to say because he's not restrained by the numbers. He's not restrained by the situation. God can turn it. Tell your neighbor, say, my pastor's talking to me today. <coughs> I heard someone say, what we do often is, what we do is often a direct result of our spiritual condition. So it tells me that if you're not do if you're not taking action, 
then spiritually your condition isn't what it needs to be. Amen. People that are spiritually uh, conditioned well get up and do something about their situation. People that are not in a spiritual good condition will just sit back and complain and stress and worry and fear and gripe and, and pull everybody they can into that vortex that they're living in. But God help us to realize that if we are spiritual people, we cannot just sit back in this day and say, it's okay what's going on in the world. It's okay that the church is being pushed down. It's okay that we're being singled out. And no, we need to rise up and say, wait a minute. There's help here. There's deliverance here. It doesn't matter how you think about your situation, how you view your situation what you've been educated to believe about your situation, God is able to heal, deliver, to save, to change, to turn the situation completely around if he's in control. I want to see the hands of those that are here today that would say when you first came to the church, whether it was this church or some other church, you came with a lot of preconceived ideas about your own life and thought there were things that would never change. It just had to be accepted that way. But when you encountered him, something began to happen that turned all of that thought on its head and you're different today than you were when you walked in. That's the church. That's what the church is supposed to do. And if the church provided that for us, then we need to make sure that the church remains so it can provide that for the next person that walks in, not offer them something completely different than what was given to us. So doing nothing could mean more about your spiritual life. It could say this, that you are at a standstill and you need to wake up and realize that God is able. He's not restrained. Well, the doctor said this, but God's able. Well, my family is saying that, but God is able. Well, the circumstances look like this, but God is able. Jonathan, Jonathan looked at the young man and, and he's telling us in this scripture and we can conclude this that, 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 that either Jonathan was tired of doing nothing or he had such a trust in God that finally surfaced in his life that he had to act upon that. If you truly trust the Lord, there will come a time that you have to act on what you trust in. You have to act on what you believe. You have to put God to the test. If you really believe him, then you give when there's nothing else to give. People say, well, I trust God, but then when it tight, things get tight financially, they're not sure if they want to give that last bit. Ask the woman that had just a meal, just one meal left, and the prophet of God shows up and said, I, I want you to make me some food. And she said, well, you don't understand the situation that I'm in right now, that my sons are in. We are literally on our last meal. And you're asking me to give this to you. If I give this to you, then I and my children, we have nothing and we're done. This woman took a step of faith. So you have to act on what you believe. Either God is able or he's not. He's God or he's not. He heals or he doesn't. He provides or he doesn't. 
He answers or he doesn't. He comes through or he doesn't. She makes the meal, passes it along, and we know the story how God starts blessing. And out of this, her family is saved. And they're encouraged. Go get as many vessels as you can. And every vessel they could gather was just being filled with oil. God is able. I'm telling you today, God is able, but you have to take action on this. You can't just sit back and say, well, it's all going to just fall in my lap. I beg to differ with you. It's not just going to fall in your lap. So Jonathan said, let's get up. Let's go over there. Let's see what God will do with the situation. And he talks to the young man about uh, what they should do. And the young man looks at him, and I love in verse 7 where he said to him, do all that is in thine heart. He said, if it's in your heart to do that, then, then hey, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. I love this because it's a heart issue. It's not just a head issue. Wow, I could preach all day about this. So some of you are trying to reason it out, think it out. Plan it out. Okay, if I do this, then strategically, this is what the armor bearer said. You're not, I know you're not thinking clearly because clear thinking says two men are not going to take down the sand of the sea. And you're, you're, you're well-versed, Jonathan. You're a warrior. I know what kind of man you are. And so I'm not going to do this because you think it sounds good. I'm going to do this because it's in your heart. When it goes beyond the head and it gets in the heart, you end up doing stuff that demands of you faith and not logic. See, if it's here, it's all logical or not. If it's here, it's all faith and God is able or nothing works out. So he says to him, If it's in your heart, do it, and I will go with you according to your heart. God, get me around people who are living for you with their heart and not just their head. People come and go here all the time, and it's because 99% of the time they're trying to live for God up here and not here. When it gets here, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter what's going on in your body. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family. It doesn't matter what up and down comes. If it's here, you just keep showing up and you just keep doing what's right. If it's here, you'll reason yourself out of it. You'll talk yourself out of it. You'll give yourself an excuse time and time again and you won't make the trip. He said, I'm going with you because of what is in your heart. I love being around people who are living out of their heart and not just out of their head. Amen. So, they devised this plan, and Jonathan says to him, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them, or we're going to reveal that we're there. We're not going to try to hide. I love this. He said, we're over here hiding. If we go there, we're not going to go there and hide. We're going to just go and let them know who we are. We're we're just going to go over there and and discover ourselves unto them. If they say unto us, tarry until we come to you. If they say, hey, we see you, wait right there. We're going to come meet you. He said, then we will stand still in our place. 
and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. Now, that's stupid. Would anybody agree with me that that's stupid? Because that's not head thinking, that's heart thinking. He said, I'll tell you what, let's just, the two of us go over there. Hey, we're here. And if they say, wait right there, we're going to come to where you are, then uh, we're dead. But if they say, hey, we see you, come over here to us, then that's our sign. God gave us the victory. Man, that sounds brilliant. Let's do that. I've read this story so many times, and I just shake my head. It's like, what in the world? What kind of sign is this? And both of them, I mean, there's no argument. (laughs) There's no, well, maybe we ought to try this. 11 says, they both go discover themselves in the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out. Hey, they stopped hiding. Yay, give them a hand. But I, but I like this because they didn't say, hey, look, there's a couple guys. They said the Hebrews. In other words, it was a representation to them of something much larger than what two men could do on their own. See, when he's not restrained by the numbers, he causes the other side to start thinking crazy. Amen. When you take your steps of faith. He said, they said, oh, the Hebrews. No, the Hebrews were hiding. Here's two men that decided to go for it. But they say, oh, look, here, here's this, uh, here's this, the, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer with him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. They go, God, a half acre and two men. And the whole thing started changing. See, you don't need the whole army. You don't need everyone on your side. You don't need a whole lot of territory. All they needed was a half acre and God and two men to say, they may, be, they, they may look like the sand of the sea and it may be 30,000 chariots and it may be 6,000 horsemen, but if God's on your side and you're willing to take action and you're operating out of your heart it doesn't need you don't need a, you don't need much ground you don't need much, well if i just had all this and if i just had no no all you need is god on your side Amen. And the Bible tells us that all of a sudden things began to change for them and 20 men fell right there. See, Jonathan realized 
that unlike you and I, God is not restrained by numbers. He's not worried about negative odds. He doesn't care about all the other hindrances that may be in place. He's just looking for people who will say, God is able to do it. If he does it in this situation, great. If he doesn't, he's still God. But I'm not sitting here any longer letting this pressure strip my faith from me, strip my confidence from me, cause me to believe that there's no way out of my situation. God is able. I said God is able. And this whole thing, I'm, I'm not going to read all of it, but you can, you can go through the remaining part of the story and how the men of uh, uh, the Philistines began to flee and they started turning their swords against one another and they slew one another and the, the Israelites are on the other side looking out and they're seeing this mayhem and trying to figure out what is going on here and Saul has no clue what has just happened and he looks to those around and said, start numbering those that are with us. It wouldn't take but a few minutes. There was only 600. Well, actually, at that point, there were 598 over there on that side. And he was saying, hey, find out who's... It would have been real... It'd be hard to count the sand of the sea to see who was missing. But it wasn't hard when you only had a few on your side. And he's saying, find out who is missing here. Because something is going on over there that is abnormal. And they have turned against each other and they realize it's Jonathan and his armor bearer and they start pursuing against the Philistines and they see them running and hiding and defeating themselves. And you go all the way down to verse number 23 and the Bible says this, so the Lord saved Israel that day. God turned the whole situation around because someone took action. Let's stand together. I'm, I'm just going to say this and, 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 and will not belabor the point. We reach places of opposition that we feel totally shut down. And I could explain this and go into a lot of depth if I needed to, but I don't feel like I need to because the Holy Ghost is here right now. I'm just going to say that I'm preaching to people today who feel shut down. Now, you can, you can define that how you would like. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, you feel like everything has closed in on you and you just shut down. God's not at a loss. You may be at a loss right now, but God's not at a loss. And if you want your situation to change, you cannot surrender to that place of being shut down. You have to rise up today in faith. Rise up today in confidence that God is able God is able. God is able today to turn this thing in your favor.